Okay, we are in Lesson 9, Proverbs chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at the issue of adultery and immorality again. Now, we're actually going to probably hit this one more time, one more time, simply because Solomon in the first nine chapters will mention it often. And the reason why he mentions this is because this, in his day, 3,000 years ago, was a significant issue. And is it a significant issue today in our society? Yeah, it's a very sexual, sensual society that we live in. And so he's going to give some more instructions. Now, again, let's just kind of set the context here as we read this passage. Understand, he's talking to his son, so... For him, the seductress, or the person who would seduce him, is a what? A woman. So he's going to refer to it as a seductress that he's warning him against. For our context of applying the passage to our lives, because we have both men and women here, we want to look at it from the standpoint of from from where you are at of either a seductress, if you're a guy, or if you're a woman, a seductor, a guy who might seduce you. Okay? So we're going to look at this. So again, remember I told you before, you've heard about the Proverbs 31 woman. There's a Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 woman. And this is the woman we're going to talk about here today. And I would, I would almost say there's a Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 man. There's a Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 man here that's being described because especially today we're going to see how naive people can be when it comes to this issue. How naive people can be when it comes to this issue. So again, look at the, first of all, the Father's instruction, verses 1 to 5 of chapter 7. And notice what Solomon says. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your nearest kin. That you, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. So, let's first of all notice the need to heed instruction. We see that in the first four verses. And here's what he says. The son is to preserve and practice the father's instruction in order to live. The son is to preserve and practice the father's instruction in order to live. Now, understand what he's saying here. Wisdom just gained is nothing. You can have people share with you wisdom from their experiences. You can read the scripture and have wisdom. But if you don't, what? Apply it. Practice it. Is it truly wisdom then? No, it's just simply just another form of knowledge. In fact, isn't that what James says? That when you and I go to the Word of God and we look into the Word of God and the Spirit of God speaks to us through the Word, that if we go away and don't put it into application... It really has no meaning in our life. It really has no meaning. You know, so when you hear something, 
So let's, let's put it on a practical level. Let's say you come to Sunday school. Let's say you go to, to a grace group, which I need to make an announcement about that here in a second. Uh, let's say you go to uh, whatever. You listen on the radio, and the Spirit of God speaks to you through teaching. And you, at that time, realize that you need to, you, that you have been given wisdom for something in your life. You have a choice to make. You have a choice to either respond or reject it. Now, I know some of you are going to say there's a third option. It's called ignore. But again, I'm going to point out to you, ignoring is just another form of what? Rejection. And so that's what he's saying here. He's saying to his son, listen to me, son. Take my teaching. Apply them to your life. Practice them. They'll bring you life. They'll bring you life. They'll bring you life. Now, here's the problem, though. Oftentimes, why we don't apply them to our lives is because why? Why do you think we don't apply the wisdom that we learn from God's Word to our lives? Anyone? Maybe it's hard. Okay, maybe it's hard, something we don't want to do, is what Bruce is saying here. Why else? Why do you think we don't want to apply it to our lives? What's that, George? Pride? Okay. We don't like being exposed for who we really are? Okay. Alright. Anyone else? We think we know all the answers. Okay, that's good, Tom. Anybody else? Okay, we might feel like we're missing something or losing something, or I would even go further, Gene, and say this. We might feel that we're missing out on something. Because if you believe what the world shows you, it would say to you that, you know, if you live according to the Scripture, you're just an old prude. You're missing out on life. Now, here's the problem. What they don't tell you is what you're missing out as far as the heartache and the shame and the guilt and everything else that goes with it. So, he's saying to him, listen. But, and, and, you know, this happens today. I'm going to be honest with you. North American Christianity, we want to accept what we want to out of this book and still call ourselves a Christian. But what we don't want to hear, we'll just say, oh, well, you know, that's your belief. That's not mine. That's called postmodernism. Can I be honest with you? It's in our churches even in this church where I will accept one thing but I don't want to apply the other part to my life and still say Jesus loves me. So he's saying to his son look, preserve and practice. Preserve and practice the Father's instruction in order to live. And so here's what he's saying about these instructions. The instructions are so precious that they must be closely guarded. The teaching, the wisdom, is so precious that it must be closely guarded. Here, let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. I'll give you a far out. This is an extreme example, but it, hopefully it will communicate the point that I'm making. Let's say that the world struggles with a disease. Some disease that, you know, that people are dying from. But down through the generations in your family has been passed a formula of a medicine, maybe an herbal medicine or whatever, that will help people with this disease. And it's been entrusted to you. 
Now, how precious would that be to you? You know that there's a disease out there that people are dying from and you've got the cure. How precious would that be for for you? Would you be pretty flippant with that formula? What would you do with it? You would guard it. It would be very precious to you because you realize that what you hold in your hand is what? Life. The ability to give life even to others, to, to maintain your life, and then the ability to give life to others. The ability to give life to others. My friends, can I be honest with you? That may not be that far-fetched. Because the disease that we struggle with in this world is called sin. Sin sends people to where? Hell. You have the formula. And it's been handed down in your Christian family called the gospel. Called the wisdom of the word of God. And it will preserve your life if you heed it. It will bring life if you heed it. But you've got to guard it. It's got to be precious to you. But can I be be honest with you, for most of us, this book is simply something that gets put on the shelf, or or better yet, I was driving down to Dubois the other day because I was at the hospital, and there was this old guy behind me, in front of me, and he was going real slow, and I was going, boy, how can I get around him? You know, well, anyhow, and and I noticed in the back of his car, you know, up on the ledge in the back of your car there, right next to where that red light is that says the stoplight, there's a Bible stuck. I said, well, he's a Christian. But then I got to looking at that Bible a little bit more, and then I started realizing that that black cover looks awfully white. And I realized that that Bible had been back there so long, it was probably fading or, or just a layer of dust was on it, meaning he doesn't use it. So then guess what I said? Oh, he must be a Christian. Because isn't that true? We have the Word of God here, that's the Word of life, but yet we don't guard it. It's not that precious to us. We don't make it a part of our lives. Now, think about how much you spend in it this week. Did you read it this week? Now, you say, well, I did my daily bread. Well, okay, I understand you did your daily bread, but here's how we do our daily bread these days. We just read the story. We don't read the passage. So you've got to ask yourself a question. Solomon is saying to his son, there's a need to heed instruction. A need to heed instruction. And see, here is why we need to follow the instruction. We need to heed the instruction. He says to him, he says in verse 5, look at what he says in verse 5. He says, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Here's what he says. Following instructions will bring protection from the ways of the adulteress. Now, there's a general principle here. And if you want to, you can write this down in your book. Following instructions will protect you from the ways of the world. Following instructions will protect you from the ways of the world. Not just the seductress or the seducturer, but from the ways of the world. Because, my friends, 
what's out there now. There are so many ways that you could go wrong. And if you are in the Word of God and you are applying the Word of God to your life and the Word of God is growing in your life as a believer, it's going to protect you from what? From the ways of the world. Not just the seductress but, or the adulteress, as you know, I have up there, but from the ways of the world. It's, it's, it's really an application to your life to guard your heart against everything because I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of stuff you could fall into, isn't there? It doesn't just have to be in the area of sex. It could be in the area of finances. It could be in the area of who knows. It, it just goes on and on and on. So the reason for heeding the instructions is because it's going to protect you. See, here's what I'm saying. Can I be honest with you? Today, North American Christians have to adopt a mentality. And they've got to get away from the thinking that God has a rule book that's out to squash my life and to keep me from having a good time and begin to see it as God has some things He shared with me that's to protect me and to make sure that I have a life that's not going to be filled with misery and pain beyond what's normal for this life. See, misery and pain are a part of our life. Does everybody understand that? Suffering is a part of our life. But God has given you His Word to protect you from that which you don't need to have. It's enough that you've got to deal with the stuff that normally comes down the road. But He's given you the Word to protect you. So we've got to change our thinking about the Word of God from, oh, well, you know, I can't do that, to, oh, you know what, God doesn't want me to do that because He knows that it's going to hurt me, it's going to affect me, it's going to hurt my family, it's going to affect me. See how the difference in change of attitude? But I'm going to be honest with you. sad thing is today, most Christians view it as some sort of, uh, some sort of regimented rule book to keep them from enjoying life. When in reality, it's there to protect them. And that's what Solomon is trying to teach his son here. So then I want you to notice, he then immediately begins... Now, instead of getting right into the issue of this is the problem with the adulteress, he's going to talk in verses 6 through 9 about how naive the guy is. So you notice, his, you notice how he's approaching this subject? He's not going to talk about the woman first. Or for you ladies, he's not going to talk about the guy first. He's going to talk about the victim. Or should I say, the co-conspirator, and how naive this guy is who gets involved with this. So look with me at verses 6 through 9. And notice what he says. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a man, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her house. He took the path to her house. And in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Okay, so let's notice his naivety. First of all, the occasion. The occasion. Solomon tells the story of a young man who he saw from his window. So he's going to share here a story. He's probably sitting in his palace, maybe sitting on the balcony, or, or sitting out, looking out the window and out the lattice of the window there. And he sees... 
he sees something, and so he's going to share a story with us to kind of get us right into the mood of what's going on here. So he's going to share a story. And so then verse 7, he's going to give us a description of what he sees. He's going to give us a description of what he sees. So what he tells us, first of all, is this. He sees a young man who he calls simple. And so simple refers to a young man who is naive and untaught. Now remember, in the, in, in the book of Proverbs, you have three types of people. You have the wise, you have the simple, and you have the fool. And remember, let's kind of qualify who we're talking about here. The fool is who? What is the fool? He's an unbeliever. He does not believe in God, rejects wisdom. A simple person is usually refers to a young, immature person who has been untaught, who has not experienced life, and basically is naive about life. So he's a little bit different than a fool. Now, he could become a fool based on how he handles wisdom. But it usually is a young person who, is, who basically hasn't experienced life yet. And then the wise is someone who understands and applies wisdom. The wise is someone who understands and applies wisdom. So he says that as he's looking through the lattice, he looks out on the street there, and he sees a young man who he calls simple. And notice how he describes him in the scripture here. It says that he is what? Devoid of understanding. He's devoid of understanding. So here's what he says. He is one whose exposure to life and wisdom has been limited. He is one whose exposure to life and wisdom has been limited. So, obviously, this is a young man who hasn't really, maybe he's just sprouting his wings from home or something. So, his understanding of the world really is very limited. And his understanding of things is very limited. So, he's a young guy who knows everything, but doesn't know anything. He's a simple person, devoid of understanding, it says. So, then, but here's the point that he wants us to understand. Because of inexperience, because of inexperience, he is gullible and easily influenced. You know, immediately as I'm thinking about this young man that Solomon is seeing, my mind goes back to the Gospels, to another young man who told his dad, I wish you were dead, give me, your, give me my inheritance and leave, the prodigal. Remember, and then he goes off into a far, and then he blows all his money. And it's, Scripture talks about how he had friends until, what, his money ran out. And so immediately I'm thinking, you know, that, that prodigal is just like this young man. Because of inexperience, he's what? Gullible and easily influenced. Gullible and easily influenced. Here, I'm going to be honest with you. If you think back in your life, we have many generations sitting in this room. Many generations sitting in this room. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think back to when you were starting to become a teenager, just getting into your 20s. Uh, maybe even into your 30s. Even into your 30s. Have you experienced life? You might have experienced some things in life, have you? Not really. Back then, think back then, think back in your life. 
Would you describe yourself as gullible? Let's be honest. Would you describe... I mean, that's not a nice way we want to describe ourselves. Is, Boy, you're awfully gullible. You know, you, no, nobody wants to be called that. But let's talk about it. When, you're, when you think back to... Considering where you are right now. Look at it from right now, not from back then. Don't look at back then from the perspective of back then. Look at it right now from the perspective of where you are right now. Would you describe yourself as inexperienced and gullible back then? Would everybody describe themselves? Raise your hand if you would describe yourself. Let's look around here. Everybody, I've got my hand up too. See, all of us recognize that. Now, back then, did you think you were gullible? Did you think you were inexperienced? Well, you maybe thought, well, I haven't experienced everything, but I've got enough to handle life right now, right? Right? But the reality was, is we, we don't, we didn't have that experience. And so, really, in reality, for all of us, wisdom comes with time and experience and with word, God's Word. All of us, let's be honest, we were all, shall I, use, shall I use the Proverbs word? Simple. That's even bad. That, that, that's not as good. I hate that word even more than gullible, George. Well, that, that's the reality, isn't it? We were simple. We didn't think that, but we were. And so this is the description of the victim. He's, he's a simple guy. He's, he's inexperienced. He's gullible. He's gullible. So then notice now the timing. Verses 8 and 9, you'll notice the timing. Here's the problem with the simple guy. Here's the problem, and we're going to deduce some principles here from this that hopefully we can apply to our lives. Here's the problem. He intentionally travels near the seductress. Look at what he says here. Verse 8. Passing along the street near her corner. So she obviously is someone who's hanging out on the corner. Passing along the street near the corner, he took the path to her house. So he's intentionally, what? Going by her way. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. This is, this is where this guy at. This is the naivety of it. And I've seen this with Christians in general. You and I know that the world holds a lot of problems, do we not? And that there are a lot of things out there that will destroy your life. Does everybody understand that? They will destroy your marriage. They will destroy your family. They will destroy your job. Is it not true? There are a lot of things out there like that. Is that not true? Everybody recognize that? Say, yes, George, I recognize it. Let me see a hand so I see a little bit of affirmation here. Okay. All right. Here's the problem I see, and this comes from pastoring now for 12 years, is that Christians, for some reason, think that they can just handle it. Reminds me of a story. Let me give you a little story. I'll get up here to platform. There was a guy who had a little girl, five-year-old girl, and she was playing in the front yard, and they lived on a street with a lot of traffic coming by, and so he went up to his little girl and he said, Listen, sweetie, I want you to understand you are not to go on the sidewalk. You have to stay in the yard. You are not to go on the sidewalk. You go on the sidewalk, you're going to be disciplined. She says, Okay, Daddy. 
He goes back in the house, and after a little while, he looks out the window, and there's his little girl, and he sees that she's doing this. She is putting her toes as close to the sidewalk without being on the sidewalk. Can I be honest with you? That is a perfect illustration of Christians today. We want to be as close to the world as possible and have something of the enjoyment of the world as possible and try to keep our toes as close as possible to it. But can I be honest with you? It's not a sidewalk you're getting close to. It's a cliff. And some of us want to just hang our toes off a little bit. And before long, you stumble. And then you've fallen off, and boom, disaster happens. See, this guy was intentionally traveling near the seductress. He was flirting with disaster, to quote a song from long ago that maybe shouldn't even be mentioned. Okay. He was flirting with disaster. Okay? He was flirting with disaster here. And so he was intentionally traveling near her. So notice the timing. So... And then notice something. It's, you, can, you know it's intentional because we're not talking about him going near her house just like, oh, I just happened to be going by there on my way as I was doing things. Because notice what the next verse says there. It says, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. So here's what it says. He goes near her home under the cover of darkness. So he has already made up in his mind to go somewhere. He's crossed a point in his mind mentally. He's crossed a point in his mind mentally where he is looking for something. You understand what I'm saying? He's already doomed before we ever even get to the seductress. See, the emphasis here in this passage is not the seductress, although we're going to see the seductress and what is the problem with the seductress and what can result from it. What Solomon is doing here, he's telling us the story of a young guy who's devoid of understanding, who's devoid of, who's gullible and inexperienced, but he's going to tell us that this guy is intentionally looking for how close can I get to the edge. But can I remind you of something? Go with me to James. James, a lot of parallels here with the book of James. Chapter 1. Verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And does he himself tempt anyone? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his what? His own desires. And enticed. And then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, James says. Here's, this is what's going on here with this young man. It's, it's, it's not originating, oh, he just happened to fall into it. You understand, with adultery, with any kind of immorality, you just don't wake up in the morning and decide, well, I, you know what, I think I'm just going to go do something today. It's a digression in your life. I would say it begins as a digression in your life spiritually. 
It begins as a digression in your life spiritually. And so you begin to develop in your mind a desire and you begin to start hanging out in places. You're flirting with the possibility that something will happen. And it's not that you're there because you want to be there. This guy wants to be here. No one is sticking a knife in his back saying, you better go walk down that street, buddy. He's wanting to be there. So let me just stop for a moment. When we look at this issue here, we're not just talking about how bad the adulteress is. We're talking about how bad this guy is. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not just some fellow who just happened to be just some meaningless, hopeless victim here. He is intentionally going down a street where he shouldn't go. He's intentionally going down. So let's get some practical application here before we move on. Look at the character and the tactics of the seductress. I want you to think about your life here today. We've got all kinds of people. I, I don't know, you know, we know each other, but we don't know each other. Everybody understand that? We know each other, but we don't know each other. And I am not with you every moment of the day. And you're not with me every moment of the day. And the chances are is that there, maybe there is somebody in here who has been flirting with disaster. Who has been maybe intentionally traveling places they shouldn't be traveling. Can I warn you? Because we're getting ready to get into this passage that talks about what will happen. Can I warn you that you are traveling on dangerous ground? And it's only for the moment. But the heartache and the pain lasts a whole lot longer. Lasts a whole lot longer. So think about it. Think about it. Because you're heading. And the Bible is very clear. You can't get away from what the Bible says. When this thing conceives in your mind and it manifests itself in sin, it brings death. Can I be honest with you? Nothing good ever comes of it, period. It always brings death. Always brings death. Always brings death. Now, when I say death, let me just remind you, I'm not just talking about physical death here. I'm talking about death in many other ways. And some of them, if you ask people, it's like a living death. It's like a living death. So let's go on then. Let's look now at verses 10 through 20, which is where we'll spend the last part of our time here. And that is the character and the tactics of a seductress. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, looking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. With an impotent face, she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows so I come out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, with co colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come on the appointed day. And with her enticing speech, she 
She caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Later, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. So let's take a look here. We're going to spend the rest of our time here. First of all, the character of seductress. Several things I want you to see about her character. First of all, she's dressed in the attire of a prostitute. Can I make a point here? And I don't, you know, as long as I've been here now, I have never, ever talked about the way women dress. Everybody recognize that? Say, I've never heard you talk about the way women dress. Okay. Because you can go to a legalistic extreme about that. And so rather than go to a legalistic extreme, I, I don't want to say anything. But I, I, this kind of passage needs to talk, kind of comes out with a general principle that needs to be referred to. And that is this. Be aware of what you're wearing. Don't dress like the world. Here's the thing. I, you know, as, as I'm, I'm 41 years old now, I've come to the conclusion that women don't understand men. Or they do. Because men are visually oriented. And if you dress a certain way, you're going to get somebody looking at you. And that's the whole point of the scripture when it talks about women dressing, because it understands the nature of men. You're going to draw the attention of men whether you want to or not by the way you dress. And so that's all I need to say. This woman was dressing in a way and the attire of a harlot, because you've got to understand their context 3,000 years ago, this woman was dressing, because you have to understand, what you're seeing in the Middle East, the way the women are dressing now, is not very different than the way they dressed 3,000 years ago, covered from head to toe. Okay? This woman was obviously dressed in a way to catch the attention of a man. So she was dressed in an attire to catch the attention of a man. That's all I need to say about that. Probably won't say another thing for the next six years. Okay? Maybe I do, though. Because we need to understand the way we dress. Have you noticed guys don't really care about their dress? Have you noticed that? We dress dumpy. Because we realize that's not what attracts you ladies. But guys, their focus is what? Visual. So, okay, that's said on that. She is secretive in her heart. The other thing I want you to see about her character is, is that she's secretive in her heart. Here's another description of her that's very interesting. She is described as loud and defiant with a roving desire. Now, just again, let's put it in the context of what we're talking about here because you could say, well, we got a lot of loud women today. That doesn't necessarily mean they're adulteresses. No, it doesn't. But you've got to understand their culture. In their culture, women were basically submissive. This woman is an outspoken woman, which means that she is rebelling against what? The social norms and society in general. So she's a defiant woman. So what we can get from here is not that a woman who's loud and outspoken, it's, it's a woman who is, who is rebelling against the social norms, who's defiant of social authority or whatever structure there is. Does everybody understand me? So this is the description of her. So then, 
He goes on. She waits. Here's her thing. She waits to ambush the immature and simple. This is a woman who is looking for somebody to get her hooks into. This is a woman who is looking for someone to to ambush. She is willfully looking for somebody to join her in sin. This is what I'm talking about here. This is the adulteress. Now, let's look at, again at the tactics of this these seductress. We see that in verses 13 through 20. Here's her tactics. Here's what she does. The steps of seduction are carefully calculated. These are carefully calculated steps. So what we're going to see here is not just some chance happening. First of all, let's remind ourselves, it's not chance that he's there, is it? He went looking. He went looking. And so now he's found somebody who's carefully crafted a seduction. It's almost like a spider. You ever know spider webs? You ever know spider webs? How many of you saw this somewhere down in Texas, one of the parks, had this huge spider web? Huge. It was almost like something from the Lord of the Rings, they said in the, in the, news, in the article I read. It was just kind of a weird, and they were trying to figure out what spider. It may have even been millions of spiders. But in it, it started out as a beautiful white thing. It's now ugly and brown because it has millions and millions of mosquitoes caught in it. And so this woman is carefully crafting a web to entangle somebody. She's carefully crafting a web. So first, notice what she does. She kisses him. She kisses him. They say, what's the big deal with that, George? Again, let's remember the context of what we're talking about. 3,000 years ago, you didn't openly kiss people. That's a sign of intimacy. Here, you know, people just, just kiss, you know, whatever. And even in some cultures, like I was down in Haiti, they'll, they'll kiss, kiss each other on the cheek. It's a French thing. Okay? But this woman openly kisses him. Which I'm sure that would probably just blow him away. Okay? Just blow him away. Young, inexperienced guy. Looking for it, but it'll just blow him away. Then, here's what she does. She issues a flattering invitation. Next, she issues a flattering invitation. She invites him to come. Next thing I want you to notice then is that she reports, next she reports that she's prepared for him. She has prepared for him. Notice what she says here. She says, you know, that uh, I have spread my bed with tapestry, with colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. So here she's saying, I have prepared my place for you. So she's saying, she's prepared. Then the next thing she does is she just gives an outright proposition. She gives an outright proposition. And the scripture is very, very clear here. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. She gives an outright proposition. And then finally she gives a disarming assurance. You say, what do you mean by that? She gives a disarming assurance. Notice what she says there. Verse 19. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. 
He has taken a bag of money with him and will not come home on the appointed day, or some translations would say the full moon. So, she's disarming him now by saying, well, we don't have to worry about anything. Don't have to worry about anything. But I want you to notice the response of the victim. Verse 21 through 23, notice what it says there. And with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. And immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to slaughter, or a fool to correction of the stalks, till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. So I want you to notice something. He was seduced by her, he was seduced by her enticing speech. He was seduced by her enticing speech. And let me be honest with you. He was willingly seduced by her enticing speech. Because remember, he's purposely going down her corner. He's going under the cover of night. So this guy was seduced by her enticing speech willingly. This was not something reluctantly. He's like, oh no, I don't want to do this. Don't take me in there. He's doing it on purpose. So then, notice something. This is the comparison now that Solomon compares him to. It's a pretty interesting comparison. He compared him to an animal who unknowingly waits to be slaughtered. How many of you have seen a cow slaughtered? Some of you, grown up. I, you know, when I was living in, uh, in near Smicksburg, sometimes we would go over and help a certain guy slaughter cows. And it's amazing to me, because they're used to the farmer coming and feeding them all the time, so they'll go wherever he goes. Until he takes them somewhere they're not coming back from. And some of you, if you've seen the slaughter of cows, yeah, they'll, they'll follow you, but then they don't come back out anymore, do they? And so he's describing this young man like one of those cows, like an ox being led to the slaughter. He doesn't know anything, he just knows I'm following my master because my master is going to feed me not knowing that it's going to result in his death. So this young man is like that. He's following this woman, thinking, I'm going to, I'm, pleasure is awaiting me. And maybe it was. But the problem was it also brought death. Death. And so he waits to be slaughtered. See, I want you to notice something. Here's very interesting because some commentators will say this. Verse 23, till a liver struck his arrow. Two possible things that they're talking about here. One is, the arrow could have been shot by who? The husband. But some others believe it may have been a sexually transmitted disease. Which would have resulted... See, an arrow striking his liver, he would have died just like that. He would be gone. But for a sexually transmitted disease, it uh, would have been, what? A long, painful death. A long, painful death. A moment of pleasure resulting, either way, in death. Either way, in death. So then notice the closing exhortation. This is what we're going to wrap up with. Verse 24 and 27. Notice what he says. Now, therefore, listen to me. Now, he's going to move from his son now to his children. Listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending 
to the chambers of death. Okay, so let's notice a couple things. First of all, the father tells his son to pay attention to his teaching concerning the woman. And he can also put down there, tells us, his children, to pay attention concerning the teachings of this woman. Tells us to pay attention. And then notice the last couple things there, the warning concerning her or him. Listening to the seductress leads to ruin and death. Listening to the seductress leads to ruin and death. I want you to notice something here. Verse 25, he's talking to the, the, the children, actually, and in particular the son, and he says, look, notice what he says. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. So he's talking about being warned about her ways, but he's making an emphasis here in this passage, do not stray into her path. He's telling the son, don't be like this guy going out looking for it. Don't be like this guy going out looking for it. So can I say this to you and myself today? The world has a lot to offer us that will bring death. Don't be curious about it. Because remember the saying, curiosity killed the cat. And can I be honest with you? When you get curious about the things of this world and the things of this world that will bring death in your life, it will kill you. Period. It may not kill you physically, but it will kill aspects of your life that you wished, you wished had never happened. I'm going to tell you something. I've heard it. I've heard people express to me regret. Oh, I wish I had never gone down that road. Oh, if only somebody had warned me. Can I be honest with you? There were people who were warning them, but they still want because they wanted to go down there. Don't go down there is what he's saying. Don't go down there. So then listen. Many are the victims of the seductress. Many are the victims of the seductress. Hey, you know it. Look in your eyes. Boy, the road is filled with carnage, isn't it? There's just bodies laying everywhere. People who have fallen to either a seductor or a seductress. And the pain and the anguish, you just need to look around. But you know what? Here's what we do. We see it around us, but we're oblivious. Because it's like, oh, well, yeah, I understand, but, hmm, that looks good. I wonder if I should try that. Television's telling me to do it. Music's telling me to do it. The world's telling me to do it, my friends. Many are the victims. Remind yourself, many are the victims. Okay, next week we're going to look at the virtues and the rewards of wisdom. We're going to look at the virtues and rewards of wisdom. So let's close our time in prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.